Well, Brent is gay, and Kaylin's gay, and Clark is gay, and Ryan's gay, and Adam's gay. It's Homo Superior. Issue 149, I'm Brent Wingate. I'm Kaylin. I'm Clark. I'm Ryan. And I'm Adam. This week, we're going to be talking about uh, the first issue of X Factor. We've got all your Emmy news, as well as discussions about uh, Justice Con panel, Joss Whedon, uh, Doom Patrol, and all this week's issues. Starting out, uh, we've got our first X Factor number one. Um, it's X Factor in the world of Krakoa. So North Star's sister, Aurora, is dead. But before he can get a fresh new one, he has to produce a body making us all wonder if Krakow and schools have the same policy when they want to play hooky by claiming a dead grandparent. Mm -hmm. Hilarious Dokken, Prodigy, Prestige, and iBoy help track down Aurora's death under mysterious circumstances, ultimately leading to the formation of the new X-Factor Investigations. What are your guys' thoughts? Uh, Kaylin, you want to start? Yeah, I'm happy to. I was, you know, cautiously optimistic about this book uh, because the, you know, as we've discussed in previous podcasts, we have a lot of love for certain iterations of X-Factor and sort of like, ugh, like not so great uh, for other versions of X-Factor. Obviously, one of the ones we loved was Peter, da Peter David's uh, seminal run uh, in the mid 2000s uh, for X-Factor Investigations. And so they're trying to bring back X-Factor Investigations in this new Krakoa environment. Uh, I was really, really happy with it because this book has a reason to exist in the sort of the world building aspect of Krakoa. Uh, I think I liked a lot of the characters that are in it. Obviously, I'm a huge fan of North Star, the original queer X character, um, you know, uh, Polaris is awesome. Rachel, when written properly, can be an awesome character. Uh, Dokken can be fun uh, with the right writer. Uh, Eyeboy can be fun with the right writer. Uh, I really like, I think Leah Williams is very talented and I'm glad we got to see like the more X-Men Black Leah Williams versus what she did for Age of X-Men, because I think the miniseries she did, we were not terribly uh, fond of. And also the art I thought was really great. Uh, David Baldion had this very sort of like Humberto Ramos, like early Chris Bacalo, like uh, kind of like feel to him. Like it's like sort of angular, exaggerated uh, elements with a little bit of like a cartoony manga feel, but still like gritty at the same time. Um, I don't know, I really dug it. Which Age of X-Men series did they write? The worst uh, one. Yeah. The, oh, that, uh, the, the, one with, the one with Blob and Psylocke. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that was rough. Yeah. Extremist. Is what yes. Extremist. Yes. Thank you. Extremely bad. Were any of you guys as excited as I was to see iBoy so aggressively sidelined as a character? Yes. Well, okay. So I think uh, my I the reason why I thought this was great was because the mission statement was flat out. It's an interesting story. The mission statement's there. S most of the characterizations are okay. I think some of them are a bit off. Um, one that was not, to your point, Brent, was iBoy. He is nobody. He will be nobody forever. And I'm glad <laughs> his place like he is that person he's like that other guy they're like what's his name again and it's so obvious because Brian, you'll make a great disappointed mother one day <laughs> i hate him and he doesn't live up to what i want in the x-men um uh with that said i thought it was good some of the characterizations are off i'm gonna go to clark probably for a little bit more on this recording <laughs> live from wherever the fuck you are well, I mean, as we, I expect we should know, um, Polaris was just, I don't even know what the hell this was. I find it bizarrely offensive that somebody who has manic d depression, bipolar disorder, um, has to ask if, uh, if you had to describe my personality, what would you say? As if like, they're blank slates that no one knows who they are. And we haven't known who this character is for the last yeah. 60 years. Like I, I didn't really like this issue before that happened. And I, hate this issue like i seriously <laughs> don't like it i mean obviously and we've talked about this multiple times based on my own um bipolar issues it's like it just offends the fuck out of me mm. as if like 
I have to decide, like, who am I? Am I just my multiple personality disorder? Or not? Jesus Christ, the wolf. That was true. Oh, my God. Yeah, hey, guys, didn't you know that I'm another person? All of your personalities. Surprise. Um, no, it just, it felt off. It didn't. And then every single thing that happened to her afterwards was just strange. Mm -hmm. My question is, um, I feel like this series is both incredibly on the nose and then just kind of like totally off at the same time like they have their characters already planned so well for exactly like this is how we're going to do the job entirely to the point uh -huh. where literally it all happened off screen and we're like oh yeah sure of course da, 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 da. like you know they, they go when they have their meeting with the council they literally have already got it all set up and finished and you're like okay well there you go good Okay, then you guys can did, do this on a different. Did you want to see them doing a PowerPoint to? <laughs> I would have. I did not like the fact. I know this was a very long issue. I don't like the fact that it cleared up so quickly in one issue. It just felt like this could have been a one shot that just explains what's happening, and the rest of the stories are going on right now. And I know things will change, and obviously, I want to see where it's headed. But it. I don't know. With, I mean, with that said, I, I agree with Polaris. I think Northstar was another characterization that was off. He, he came in just kind of as like a frantic, um, like, brother. And I know he, I, it could be because she's dead. Obviously, that's an important thing. What? But I know, that, that's traumatic, I know. But he, his voice felt a little bit off because he's a little bit more snarky than he is just yell at you i don't know that felt off but i think that could be corrected after or, or his sister stuff gets um uh, like, i'm and stuff i'm sorry know. but like when he came out he screamed i'm gay so it completely kind of fits back yeah yeah, yeah yeah no he's, he's he's very he's super shouty i mean he's snarky but like that dude is like he's frantic as fuck i think that like that characterization felt very right to me He's a little bit smarter, though, I think, as a character. Um, I, he no, seemed kind of just like, I'm going to yell at you. Yeah, I would, uh, I would definitely, I could say, I sort of see both perspectives on that. I do think just the more recent readings and interpretations of North Star is that they've played him up as a bit more of a like, bitchy, catty, more subtle. But I could obviously appreciate that if your sister dies and you want her immediately resurrected, that you'd be more yeah. upset. Um, I will say, Clark, completely agree with you. I thought Polaris's sort of characterization was the most lacking part of the book. And it's, it's disappointing because I think narrative, from a narrative, I don't know if construct's the right word, but from a narrative approach in terms of what they're probably going to try to achieve with this group, I'm excited about because I think it's a really great, interesting take on the story. And I think to your point, if this was a one shot, I would have hated it. But I'm actually really excited to, like, and maybe it's because I'm, I've got a uh, very, very uh, recent nostalgia for the actual X-Factor investigation series that, we, that I read during Mutant Madness. But I'm like, oh, this could be a really good opportunity. And so I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt that this was like a really rough pilot episode where like by the second issue, yeah. everyone kind of settles in and changes. Because I think all the right pieces are there, but it's just whether or not they can actually stick the execution. Go ahead, Clark. Um one of the things I was confused with is that, you know how Polaris goes into inside of Krakoa and basically has sex with it in order to create Boneyard. Um, mm -hmm. did, did, did anyone not quite know what was happening? Or why I, she, I have a, why she kept, because I, I know, I, in terms of Brent and Ryan, um, not Brent and Ryan, excuse me, Brent and Adam, why she was talking about her connection with it. Because she I has mean, sex she with sentient life it. forms. In the, in the, um, when Krakoa was just was stopped in the original series way back in the day when the um, all yeah, new all different showed one. up, she was the one to send Krakoa into space. So she, mm. they, I think, the connection they talk about is based on the fact that she was the one who had the abilities to interact with and control and stop it. I'm assuming because they don't explain that and they just kind of like ham haw through it. And that's why I was like, if someone didn't know that, would they know what the fuck was going on and why, or would they not care as to why or what? It just felt so bizarre and off. I mean, I got that they had some prior connection and uh, to me, it seemed like they had a very, uh, maybe I read too much into it, but the fact that she was given a bed of bismuth, which is not it, the most comfortable of stone. It was so weird. Uh, to me, seemed like 
it's like, oh, it's a beautiful thing, but it's also, it can be hurtful. Brent, you just sound like a mom trying to describe, like, well, they're just really good roommates. They just really, yeah. <laughs> who knows what their relationship was? We, they, who knows? They were really good friends. Kayla? Yeah, I, I think it's more of like when you see an Easter egg, like in a Marvel film or any nerdy film, it's like, if you know the backstory, sure. But otherwise, it's like, okay, um, I may not completely get it, but maybe it'll be explained to me a little bit later on. Yeah. I think this is like one of, it could be like one of like, if this is a pilot episode for a show, uh, then this would be like, oh, this is intriguing. I want to know what happens next. Mm -hmm. This is the, the thing that brings you back. I mean, because, um, you know, I was thinking about comparing this issue of X-Factor with the first issue of X-Factor investigation back in 2005 and how that issue ended like on a cliffhanger with uh, one of Jamie's dupes, like, you know, throwing mm -hmm. Richter off the, uh, off the <laughs> ledge. Literally, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, and like that was the big cliffhanger, and like there wasn't really a cliffhanger like in this one, right. but this is, but this is the uh, this is like the sort of like this is the hook to bring you back because like uh, uh, this issue did feel like very like one and done, like they solved uh, the mystery of you know what happened to Aurora, and um, you know it, it just feels like super piloty. Um, I would totally agree with Caitlin. I think I want to say I want to state that I do think this issue was good. The characterization, and I think a better word was maybe the voices of some of the characters were off. Um, but overall, this was a really great issue. It's a very queer comic, and it's very clear that there's going to be this weird love triangle between Dokken and Prodigy, and then North Star's maybe going to cheat on his husband. I, what? It's, it's, that's what I'm no. getting. I don't they know. barely I showed Dokken and Prodigy doing anything slightly related to each you other. You know what? But they talk to each other and they're winking at each other. Okay. That's, that's, that's gay culture right there. Also, also, there is a moment where he sees Prodigy and North Star gets right in front of him. So there is something there. There is something there. But, but besides that, we always complain that these intro issues never form the team fast enough because it'll take six issues for these teams to form. It formed in one issue. It gave you the mission statement. It gave you some fun character moments. I think it did everything and more. And, like, if we're comparing this to other generations of, like, X-Men, this is a phenomenal issue. So I think it's really good, actually. Kaylin. Can we can we talk a little bit about um, again going to how queer it was the thirst trappiness of Dokken, especially when he's at that motel mm -hmm. and you've got the guy the, the guy behind the desk who's just yeah. like obsessed a hotel with worker is gay. What a stereotype! I, I feel like if you're wow. gonna give me Wait, <laughs> if you're gonna give me third trappiness, thirst trappiness, give it to me in art that makes someone look thirst trappy. Like this is so cartoony that I don't find anything sexually interesting as for characterization uh i did not have a problem jerking off to those seven oh did you i guess this is not I my kind of this is not my kink i'm sorry <laughs> uh one more thing i'll just say is um i made this point on our twitter channel and i know we've got some differing opinions on x factor but like this is even though like you know excalibur is kind of a weaker title but like now that we have like this sort of like phase one and phase two of a lot of the titles this is the strongest the X books I think have been in like 30 years across the board. I'm not yeah. saying that like, you know, there are certain books that are like mm -hmm. awesome, like Astonishing X-Men, New X-Men, you know, but like there, we, it's obvious it, it, what, during those eras, it's like, oh, this is a really good book, but the rest of the line is shit or most of the line mm -hmm. is shit. It's, it's like because they're giving money to the writers and artists yeah. now, because they weren't <laughs> before. Well, well, sure. Uh, but like in the 90s, they certainly were. I mean, like the 90s was the heyday for like the X books and it's just, um, you know, it's like, there was a lot of weakness there, but yeah. yeah. All okay. right. One Thanks. thing related to it. I've decided that Krakoan annoys the shit out of me and not because of the ciphers that you have to figure out. It's the fact that in the front of this, where they have, you know, like X factor investigations, exclamation point, when they do the ciphers for in Krakoan, they are so long and it's the uh -huh. same, same words, but like, do they just not believe in spacing? It just seems so exhausting <laughs> to read. Jesus. They're all run-on sentences. Yeah. Let me send you my resume, Clark. <laughs> so uh, keep uh, staying tuned as we read more X Factor and play the new game, Will Adam Fuck It? Okay. More like Sex Factor. We've just received this year's Emmy nominations, which 
because of the regular news cycle is an award show I forgot existed. Until <laughs> the big highlights um, were that the HBO drama series Watchmen got the most nominations with 26 and the Disney Plus Star Wars series The Mandalorian got 15. Woo! It's a normal discussion. I want to say I'm very pleased that Shit's Creek got 15 yes. nominations. Woo! That was, yeah. my, that was my news. That's the top of my news heap. Plus, um, Bojack Horseman got a nomination for Outstanding Animation for The View from Halfway Down. Woo. Very deserved. Uh, a little odd to me, Rick and Morty got one uh, for the Vat of Acid episode. Done. What? I was happy before we talk about the actual ones we're going to talk about is um, what we do in the shadows got a, a best comedy nomination because mm -hmm. that's that, second season is so that fantastic. That is what I'm so happy about. That show is phenomenal yeah. and no one is watching it. Everyone get on that shit immediately. It's hilarious. What about those yep. two that we were supposed to talk about? Um, okay, I would like to, I have a bone to pick. So the Marvelous Miss Maisel. <laughs> We're not talking about that. Showing up in my Emmy nominations, and I'm mad. I'm over it. <laughs> That's a rant. I'm over it. Um, with that said, um, another interesting fact about these nominations was Netflix actually got the most nominations this year compared to every other TV network. So it beat mm -hmm. out HBO, which usually HBO like cleans up. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of an outrageous time. And it's really showing that streaming services are becoming the future. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What well, is the first year that all of the drama series are from streaming services? Mm -hmm. Yep. Which is pretty incredible. Caleb? I, I will say, I will say uh, the one kind of negative thing about the Emmy nominations, besides Marvelous Miss Maisel, because I agree with you, Ryan, Thank uh, you. is the lack of uh, any Latino or Latina representation, uh, which is just, it just seems like a huge oversight yeah. uh, by the Emmys. Uh, I, I think it's, I think it's, I think it's kind of awful. Uh, on the plus side of diversity, I think, Insecure got at least eight nominations, if I'm not yeah. mistaken. Uh, He's the Ray for everything. All completely well deserved. Uh, she's fantastic. The show, I think it's um, Larry Wilmore is also co-creator. Just uh, oh, and uh, Yvonne Orji is I know up for nomination. I think a supporting actress, and or she's involved in some capacity, and she's wonderful. <laughs> and just you know, I I can't stress enough how great that series is, and every single season delivers. So. Well, yeah. Adam, to, on the negative side of diversity. <laughs> yes, oh, there isn't oh, one. I, Next story. <laughs> not, none of the black trans performers got nominated. Oh, God, yeah, this is performer. a performer. That, that is, is so glaring. It's outrageous. Like, Billy Porter got nominated and a couple other things, but, like, not a single trans. That's tough. Well, I had I had people on my Facebook feed getting mad at Billy Porter about it for previous comments about how like now yeah. it's their turn to get nominations now Ooh. that he has gotten one kind of thing or got hit when he got his like a win yeah it was very uncomfortable. Mm. Uh, I mean, I was I was pretty surprised by the Vat of Acid episode being the one that was put up for a nomination. Which episode from this season would you have selected? I would have done. Uh, I would have done. Uh, uh, Morty getting the uh, the death crystal. Mm. I think because when we did Rick and Morty, when we uh, did our review of season four, I thought that was uh, the most cohesive episode from a plot standpoint, a sci-fi standpoint, and a comedy standpoint. You definitely I mean, problem with the dragon episode. Uh, <laughs> that's my choice. But bingo, I don't bingo. I mean, it's not dragon is great. It's not, it's not, but it's a very fun episode. It's the one I'm going to revisit the most, but it's just, it's just because like you slut is the reason why. Like it's so, it's so fucking ridiculous. Adam? It works, it works. From a, I do think from a, from an actual quality, I thought the finale was really excellent because it was the perfect combination of joke and story, but I could see why it, I'm assuming they usually choose episodes that are much more encapsulated as opposed to why that was such an impactful episode because it actually had obviously a lot of growth for Beth and the characters. I kind of would like to see uh, the story train episode. I think that would I love that. Inclusive. I think yes. it's, That's it's very Hollywood and construction. Why are, you all, why are you all sleeping on snake jazz, you pieces of shit? <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to say, you son of a bitch, I'm in. 
Oh god damn it! That's the episode I fucking want. That was, I was no, like, what was the one in the first no, half that I loved? No, so you're much. wrong. You're terrible. All right, you're moving on. Person. Moving on. Okay, so so during a JusticeCon panel, cyborg actor Ray Fisher reconfirmed sentiments he previously expressed in a tweet um, that the stand-in director Joss Whedon uh, was gross, unprofessional, and abusive, and that there are channels being currently explored to investigate his behavior and he should be very concerned. So Fisher has acknowledged that a lot of the process of working with creatives can, people have different visions and they can butt heads and there can be some unhealthiness, but that Whedon's behavior definitely goes beyond the pale. Uh, what are your guys' thoughts on this? And what do you think, if anything, uh, it has to say about some other beloved creators who are now getting attention for toxic workspaces, you know, Mind is Ellen DeGeneres. Mm. Kaylin? Yeah, I, I, I was going to say, like, I mean, it doesn't surprise me, but at the same time, like, what are the details here? I mean, Ellen, we know, is, like, incredibly shitty to the people that work on her show. We've clearly spent some time talking about comic creators who are, you know, incredibly toxic to uh, to women. Um, but, like, I mean, what is what is what does Ray Fisher mean that, like, that Joss Whedon was, you know, bad on set. Like, I think I need some specificity before I can really make some comments on it. I know. It's us just commenting and not really knowing the situation. Um, Ray Fisher did speak out and he said it, it, it was not inherently racist is what he said about it. It was, it was literally just more about abuse and how he, they were treated. I think maybe long work hours and then also just like how he maybe spoke to them, I think was what is what I'm reading. I don't have the full story, so I'm not sure, but I, I, I think yeah. that's sort of what it, he was alluding to. That's it seems like it's, it, it's just like a power thing. It's not about them as, as, as like people or certain things about who they are as a person. It's not racial or sexual or gender oriented or, you know, LGBT related. He's just a dick about it. And the same with Ellen. Yeah. 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 He's terrible. Just abuse of power kind of, yeah. The other thing about um, we were talking about Justice League. Did you hear that um, Snyder said that he'd rather burn Justice League to the ground than have even one tiny, tiny moment of Joss Whedon's bit in the Snyder cut? I did see that. Uh, what, that wow. I like that. What's so funny wow. to me is that this Dead movie. Dead on fire. This movie. But, but the thing is, Zack Snyder goes to a burger joint, doesn't like one guy, and he goes, I'd rather never eat burgers again than have one of your burgers. I mean, hearing this, this sentence makes me think that I'm um, Zack Snyder. Yeah. yeah, Adam, what were you saying? <laughs> um, I was going to say, like, the movie, it's hilarious to me, and I guess maybe not from a macro space of superhero movies and, like, what that means for superheroes and media, but this is like the most inconsequential movie ever. Like it, it was yeah. never good with the Whedon cut. It's not going to be good when the Snyder cut comes out. And the fact that like comicbook.com and other CBR, other places are all reporting on this every single time someone makes a comment on it is the funniest thing ever. Cause I'm just like, what a waste of collective energy. They didn't, they didn't make Apocalypse Now. They didn't make a Orange. They made X-Men <laughs> Apocalypse, which we're going to talk about in a couple of minutes. No, yeah. they, like, that's the thing. I think people wanted the Justice League movie to be so good that the version that came out in the theaters is like, oh, this was yeah. shit. Oh, if only, if only Zack Snyder was able to release his masterpiece. And then when that comes out, it's like, what the fuck is this? Did you not see Batman versus Superman? Did you not see Man of Steel? He's not good. He's not a good director. Period. I think, I think we all stay quiet until we see this goddamn movie and then we judge it accordingly and we're all proven right. Hopefully like this year's election. You know what I mean? It's just like, that's what like, but and, not and stay quiet. Say, I told you so. It yeah, come on. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> all right, in other director news, surprise, surprise, Ron Howard has confirmed there will be no Solo 2. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, yeah, because we it, it would be solo, not solo anymore. Or something. There's <laughs> gonna be, there's gonna be, a, there's no solo sequel. So I'm gonna turn it over to the group. Um, you're paid an insane amount of money to create the next solo film. It has to come in between the end of Solo and the beginning of the uh, of A New Hope. 
what story would you like to tell? And I think more importantly for me, what's the title? Kaylin? I mean, to be serious for a second, uh, I think the story they could tell, or I would tell if I got the money to do it, would be how he ran afoul of Jabba. I think, because that was hinted at, you know, in episode four. Uh, yeah. uh, and then when they did like the, you know, the Lucas cut, the recut, whatever, in the late 90s, you had the shitty Jabba, um, you know, CGI uh, in the movie. But like telling the story of how he did it is the only thing that makes a lot of sense. But like, other than that, the character beats have already been done. Uh, he's clearly had his, you know, kind of his character arc in Solo, which was better than I thought it was going to be. And then we pretty much have the character as is from the end of that movie to the beginning of episode four. So I don't even really know what kind of character growth you could do in that. But the only like logical thing to do would be to talk about like the stuff with Jabba. I think if you were to take that, you probably, if you know, to have that character beat continue to work would be that, you know, now he is a jaded person and he has to not trust someone and that causes a problem for him. So that, you know, he still has this kind of ambivalence, but the whole story still works with him, you know, not willing to, not being willing to put himself out there and facing consequences for it, but maybe they don't set in. Ryan, did you have something? Yeah, um, no, I think Kalen hit it directly on the head. Not, it's very few times in the Star Wars universe where you're like, well, why did that person get there? People didn't say it about like, how did the Death Star get their plans? No one said that. No one fucking said that. I believe no, George. No Lucas one said, "How did Chewbacca and Han meet?" Really, was it in a mud pit? No one said that. But people have actively asked, "How did Jabba and Han get this like rivalry?" So I think that is completely the right answer. With that said, the reason why these these rumors are swirling this week and probably last week as well is because a lot of rumors have been coming out that. A solo, like, a solo sequel series will possibly come out. So, so a lot of people are pointing to either Lando getting a Disney Plus series, which I think all of us would be on board for Donald Glover coming back for, to do Absolutely. Lando. It would yeah. be phenomenal. And then the other one that is also pitched and maybe a rumor that's floating out there right now is that Darth Maul would get his own series. I'm all about that. Um, yeah, which I think I think that is the better outcome than getting a solo movie, getting two series that focus on like these characters. I think that's, I mean. Well, then it, given that, I want to give two pitches. The first yeah. is if we do, a, if we make a solo movie, it's just called Solo, but the S is a two. All right. <laughs> Ew. My second pitch is that uh, the Lando story as a TV show is just Donald Glover playing the part he would have played in the later seasons of Community with none of the other cast. Around. Love it, love it. Gillian Jacobs is a twee leak. I would love that, yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm all on board. Uh, I myself preferred a meta version sequel where because of the lack of success of Solo on his previous mission, had to take up prostitution and it would be called Polo. No. <laughs> Boo. I no. Think you, I think exactly. Thank Absolutely you. No low. Hey. Thank you, Brent. No low. Uh, Adam, work for Vivid Entertainment for fuck's sake. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I do think one thing that I, I always hate loose like cliffhangers, which is why I never like to watch TV shows in case they get canceled early. And I will <laughs> say one thing that frustrates me is not being able to really understand where Daenerys and Darth Maul go. And I'm very aggravated by that because- Daenerys, <laughs> you can't even remember her name. Yeah. It's just fucking Daenerys, you idiot. Uh, the lady from Terminator and Darth Maul, what do they do next? <laughs> what is her they name? Fight crime. Is she or something? What is, it's weird. I, Amelia Clark is all I remember. Yeah. That's the right answer. All right, um, so, this might be stupid. Uh, Fox apparently had big plans uh, for Professor X and Storm in the forbidden movie New Mutants um, until Apocalypse bombed. Um, 
it was basically that Apocalypse bombed and it was bad enough that the studio execs didn't want to spoil by proxy a movie people would never be allowed to see. How stupid is this? <laughs> well, uh, can we can How we much call stupider this? is this as a reason to not include these characters? I can't even begin to say how stupid it is. And also, can, can we really call this movie New Mutants anymore? I mean, this thing was oh. supposed to come out in 2017. We were just talking about how uh, Justice League is something that we were talking about way too much, and there's no point. This movie yeah. takes the <laughs> fucking cake in that regard. This movie doesn't matter. It will never matter. It's going to be bad. We'll watch it for, like, one time and hopefully never have to hear, see, think about it again. But it has been talked about the, for centuries. Iron the, the, problem is, the problem is people are still saying, will this be connected to the MCU? The answer is no. No. <laughs> they, no. This movie is like finally getting to kiss your crush after many years, and it's just disappointing. Like, no <laughs> amount of wish fulfillment that is yeah. going to be this worthwhile. No, it's, it's to kissing your crush at your high school reunion, and you're uh, like, uh, and he <laughs> has not aged well. Yeah, he also didn't come out. Long, and he yeah. also didn't come out. And also, yeah, it's sexual assault, so maybe don't do that. Jesus. Um, the di director, the director, literally said he'd be fine with him just putting it online. So just listen yeah. to him, finish the shit up. I don't want to worry about it anymore. The funny thing about it is, it's like 24, 25 years ago is when they tried the Generation X pilot uh, on yeah. Fox, and we wow. talked about it last week uh, when we had the the guest star on the uh, uh, the Comic Con Zoom panel. But uh, it's like it's like they should have also never shown that. That should have just been a bootleg thing that like people can can find on their own and that's what they really need to do on uh, uh for new mutants it should be one of those things back when remember at comic cons you would have to like find like vhs copies of shit mm -hmm. like the justice yeah. league pilot from the 90s that nobody ever got to see i think you can find it on youtube now uh like it should just be that it's this like urban legend of like well i've seen new mutants it's actually pretty good and like no you haven't you piece of shit Adam? I was just gonna say, like, I think what we're building towards with both of these movies is like an old, once theaters come back, is like an old school 70s and 80s midnight double feature Ooh. where people like dress up, bring pancakes to throw at the screen. Right house, yeah. <laughs> All that sort of shit. Oh, I, everyone, I'm very excited. Clark, what were you going to say? So last night, I went to a late night double feature of Dracula versus Frankenstein and The Brain with Blood at um, Stephen City uh, in front, near Front Royal, Virginia, has a um, drive-in theater. And I was there till like two in the morning watching garbage. <laughs> and I was very good. I would love to see great, these actually. two piles of shit. It was good. It was a lot of fun. I'm definitely going to yeah. go back quite a few times if I'm stuck up here too long. We should right. do a uh, like a mystery science theater three thousand version of it when we can finally watch it. <laughs> oh God, yeah. Yes, because the year will be three thousand. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's do a uh, Ryan Kroll quick take. Uh, we just got a trailer for Jurassic Park Camp Cretaceous. Mm. Mm. Okay. The kids go, to, the kids go okay. to the park. It's great fun with no adult supervision, and then the dinosaurs appear. It is quite possibly the funniest premise for any Netflix show ever. So it's basically like all the funny stuff that you thought like during Jurassic Park when you were growing up. Like, well, what if me and my friends were in Jurassic Park and I'm 14 and it basically was turned into a TV show? There's not an adult insight. There could be one. No. But some of the reviews are saying these kids actually die. And so kids getting hurt, dinosaurs, some callbacks to old Jurassic Park, and I'm so fucking in. It's, it looks so fucking good. But will it disappoint your wish fulfillment fantasies as a kid that they aren't drinking white wine as they wander around a jungle? <laughs> well, I'll be doing it while I watch it. <laughs> when I originally read it, I thought they meant Jurassic Park and not Jurassic World. And I was like, so there was just like, five random teenagers on this island and they knew exactly where the fuck they were. They just oh. didn't care enough to help them. So they just had their own storyline and left these kids. Guys, isn't it great? It just sounds so good. It's but now animated, that you say the kids I die, I might be interested. Yeah, yeah me too. This so, is going to get 20 Emmy nominations in 2021. <laughs> you know what it is. Uh, all right. Uh, getting into some TV. Adam, do you want to talk to us about Doom Patrol Episode 7? 
I sure do. So Doom Patrol episode seven was a uh, pretty quick continuing sort of the um, misadventures or really lack of adventures for many of the characters in a, in a good way. Uh, what I mean by that is that you had a lot of people still kind of processing their general lives. So Rita attempting to move on from her mother as well as kind of like just have a more normal life. Uh, but that did spin out into her being a little bit more of a superhero actually for the first time. Uh, you had um, Negative Man uh, a really coming to continued terms with his family um, engagement. And, and in reality, it was like a huge kind of side story of these things called scants, which were once they infected you, you became a complete idiot or you produced idiot, I think is the name of the cloud. It was a very, very um, out there episode. Which you, I, you, produce, know, you produce omnosium. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, <laughs> You know, very, I think this is, uh, much of the character and heart was still in the episode. You know, Cliff got to reunite uh, at the end with his um, daughter. And just in general, there was a lot of emotional moments while also mostly being balanced by this plot line of everyone acting like a complete asshole, which is also very enjoyable. So um, just for me, it continued a, a great, con uh, Really, I just really enjoy the second season. Um, and I do think that as we know, the continued buildup of Dorothy and the inner demons that she carries with her from her heritage are, are really coming to a boiling point now as we, we end the, get towards the end of the season, I should say. But what are the real- I, I really like uh, Miranda as the, sort of yes. the main character, that version of Jane. Um, I just, I think, um, this is, I hope this doesn't sound mean or insensitive, but like, I think, Crazy Jane kind of frustrates me as a character because she's, she's so shouty. And then you have someone like Cliff Steele, who's also shouty. Yeah. And they're like, they're connected uh, as they are in the comics. And then they're just shouting at each other. And it's just like, I can't watch this anymore. Yeah. Uh, but like, there's so many, like, I think some of the other uh, personas of Jane that are much more interesting. I'm glad that we spend a little bit of time in the underground with, with them. Um, and then you see like, kind of like the different manifestations of it. But Miranda was phenomenal. I just loved mm -hmm. her. I last um I, I think first couple ish episodes we were talking about I did say I I, I had the exact same issue with Kaylin with the, the fact that Crazy Jane was the exact same thing both she and Cliff were so shouty that I didn't care about them anymore. Bringing Miranda in has definitely changed my opinion of that entire storyline. Um, the other point is that remember how last time I missed last I did not watch. <laughs> oh right. <laughs> I did not watch the the episode before I watched this one. I went back and watched the other one. It's so weird that this series is, it's so well done, but it, literally the fact that it's written by a different person each, each episode, I, the other one mattered, but totally didn't matter. Like, yeah. this, this is a, a series that you can almost just kind of like skip an issue yeah. and not really it's have very an modular. issue. With, yeah, like the, especially the last couple. I, yeah. I don't really feel like I missed much, much but definitely missed, missed much at some point. I will say I was a little disappointed that uh, I thought at the end of the last episode with Cliff being shot into space that he was really truly shot right? in space. Totally. And I thought that is a power move for a plot. Oh my God, I was nope. And then for him to crash was a little disappointing. Uh, <laughs> and what do you make of all this? Me? Yeah, you. Oh, yeah. Oh, um, I, I, hey, yeah, ugly. That, that, that did, yeah, I, I just felt overwhelmed. Um, uh, I, I, I do, I do agree that it was a little bit like, oh, he's on Earth, so it's fine. So he'll just walk back. So it was a little bit annoying. Then I, I do like the sort of uh, randomness of every ep like episode feels so different, yet the same, yet different, yet unconnected, yet connected. It's I, I love the feel of this show. With that said, the scants are the best character that's ever been on any type of TV show ever. It's like an upgraded Oompa Loompa. It is so amazing. It is such a shame that like during Comic-Con, these characters are not allowed to walk around and just be weird at people because Comic-Cons don't exist anymore. But like, <laughs> but I, that is such a great weird character that I fucking love. Adam? Um, yeah, I was just gonna quickly mention that uh, I just started watching um, Doctor Who, I guess with the oh. reboot. And so it, it, 
the re- I think what I was gonna say is like wh- the way you're describing it, Ryan. Like this show, I got a lot. Of, it's a lot of the same energy of Doctor Who, and I know. I think in our Slack channel, I had mentioned that I really liked. It felt like a good episode of Legends of Tomorrow because this is the type of shit that Legends of Tomorrow loves to pull, especially like the can't scant type storyline. Yeah. But it's just better written, better directed, and better funded, uh, and it and it really shows because it's just it's it's weird, it's quirky, it still has heart, and it's. It just everything kind of like works and it just feels like a very unique beast that I don't think a lot of other other shows attempt for but don't necessarily hit because I know that we're obviously we talked about the Umbrella Academy season two coming out uh, this Friday and like I think that's a perfect example and like I'm a little worried of that show because Doom Patrol is just really killing it this season. I've been hearing um, good things. Yeah, me season too. two? Really? Same. Oh, uh, wow. Okay. Well, season one was meh. Yeah. Keep watching. All right. Let's talk about a bunch of comics, Kalen. Yeah. Yeah, we had a lot of comics come out this week. I know we spent some time on X Factor, but we had Empire number three, X-Men number 10, which is an Empire tie-in. The second issue, the long-awaited second issue of Cable, which the first issue came out a few months ago. Long-awaited X-Men Fantastic Four, which actually came out last week but we forgot to review it on podcast. And then the sixth issue of the online series, DC's Hope at World's End. And I'm just going to quickly kind of go through them. Um, Empire number three, I think Empire is still wonderful, but this definitely feels like, okay, we're in the middle of the storyline now. Like it's, um, it's, it's like, okay, all the cool stuff happened in the first and second issues. And then we're going to get like, I think this is a six issue miniseries. All the cool shit is going to happen in issues five and six and three and four are like, we got to connect them and like it felt a little stretched out maybe is one way to put it i think it's helping that like because of um the uh the delay of the, with the pandemic it's the issues are coming out every week and so i think that's kind of nice like it you know you don't have to remember what happened a month ago two months ago or three months ago uh, the big reveal of course is uh that uh empress uh raquel is back and she's been playing a uh, one of the Cree, uh, and she's, she's playing Teddy. Uh, <laughs> yeah, she's a grandma. She's a crazy ass grandma, and she's been playing Teddy uh, this time. And so there's like you know machinations within machinations, which can is I get some the stuff coverage, I like. Can I get some coverage on her? Is she like was she a big player? Is she kind of more just like oh this is a character we had in the '80s. Let's just toss her in and bring her back. Or she's been around for a while, and like she's been off the chessboard for a number of years. And so this is just going back into like Marvel lore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's not like a big review. Like my favorite character is <laughs> not. It was not a huge yeah. Reveal. Okay. No one liked. Yeah. No, she was just sort of around. Okay. Yeah, and but it's not about the character. It's about, yeah, it's not. Yeah, it's not about the character. It's about the plot of like them, yeah. you know, conspiring behind him. No, yeah, I hear you. I'm uh, oh, sorry. Very oh. underwhelmed with this series, and I think I was the one that was the most interested in what it was going to be. I love these these old seventies stories, and I feel like the fact that it's kind of like you know, you guys remember the at least some of you remember the Annihilation series. It oh, feels yeah. like we're doing Annihilation 2 and we haven't gotten around to Annihilation 1. Right. Like, I feel like there needed to be a big thing involving these characters before in order to make yes. it matter now. Like, I love, if, if this literally took place in the 80s and we had all these 70s stories just happening and this popped up, I'd be totally on board. It just it feels so I don't care, even though I care about the characters a lot. I love Mantis and not, not spoilers, but uh, idea, I don't think she'd make it out of this. But, um, <laughs> no, yeah. but uh, I don't know. It just, it, it just feels so meh. And I'm excited for side stories because at least they give us a little bit of extra, extra ones. Um, Brent. Right. I think that to add to Kaylin liking the kind of diplomacy and politicking, one thing that they add that I really enjoy in the story is that Hulkling's role is increasingly complicated. He's being pulled by so many interests. And it's gonna mean that as a character, he has to make hard choices. So I'm thinking about what you were just saying, Clark. And I think the reason why it kind of feels like that is that for the Katati, we don't have really any uh, structure, any buildup except for Koi, maybe. And we don't really know anything about their motivations other than domination from within this story, I mean. 
And so it feels kind of hollow. It feels like we've got a villain of the week type thing that's being extended over a bunch of mm -hmm. Yeah, they have, to, they have to make up characters that didn't exist or make them so they're not just kind of a uniform body of plant. Now they're like different sh shapes, different looking, different colors, different everything, and the, that's not what they were. Yeah. Yeah, I was just going to say this is, I've been on an up and down journey with this series and then especially now having a few of the X-Men tie-ins to read. It, I think you're exactly right, Brent, that like none of this seems sticky. And I, you know, Annihilation was so wonderful because obviously you had your sort of like lead-in series, then some of the bigger issues and still some crossovers. But like, this feels like a mega event without the mega. Like, it's, mm -hmm. and, and I think I, it goes to that point that I think if we read the tie-ins, especially given some of the times we've been reading, I feel like there's literally nothing new to actually learn about the plot is that Cotadier trying to kill everybody and then the, like the Empire is here to stop it. And there's no real nuance. It's just like... It almost feels like a bit like a big fan service battle because like some of the panels are beautiful. Like I think the artwork and it was great and it's fun, but I don't, I don't have any desire to like even when they were like Captain America's doing this and Thor's Thor's doing that and Iron Man's been doing this. I'm like I don't really care to follow any of these storylines. Yeah. I just know that they're it's all going to end and the Katati will be stopped and that's it. Like some of the characters will come out different, but I, I just it's not sticky at all for me in terms of its ramifications on the, the, the universe, I should say. Kalen? Yeah, if I could provide a little bit of a counterpoint, not that I disagree with everything you said. I, I think, Adam, you specifically had the luxury of reading Annihilation, Annihilation Cognitive all at once. And so you got to yeah. see all of it. Like, and like, you can, there are some really weak chapters to both Annihilation and Annihilation Conquest. There just are, because I was reading it as, they were, as it was being published in 2006, 2008, 2010. And I was like, well, I mean, I guess I'm kind of interested. I guess I want to see what happens. But I'm like, this issue was like not so great. And this is like, we're in the middle of the storyline. This happens in every crossover. Like you're like, oh, boom, great reveal <laughs> at the end of the first issue. The second issue has got a cool hook. Third issue, okay, we're biding our time now until we get to like the climax and the okay. denouement. And um, I just think that makes it a little bit tough. And as far as it being sticky, I do think that this is going to set up a new status quo for the cosmic part mm -hmm. of the Marvel universe, if not necessarily the Avengers. I think the weak part is how much the Avengers are involved. Yes. I almost kind of wish they yes. weren't involved. But like, make it Fantastic Four, yes. make it some of the cosmic characters. But like Iron Man, even Black Panther, a character I absolutely adore, I'm like, eh. Like the X-Men stuff is much more interesting to me than the Avengers mm -hmm. stuff in this crossover. I, I will say real quickly that I didn't mind the issue itself. Like I actually thought it was fun to read. I just, I, and I think it's because I have this childhood notion of how crossovers used to go. Cause I didn't get to really read a lot of crossovers when I was a kid. So whenever they would come out and I didn't like see the full picture, I'm always like, these must be the coolest fucking things in the world. And oh, like, my God. And instead, now that I'm seeing we're doing them every year, specifically with the events as an adult, I'm like, these are fucking stupid, kind of. Like, I, I think the, the biggest thing was like, also my childhood was built around Age of X-Men or Age of Apocalypse, sorry. And so like, that's just a cohesive time transplant where everything is connected. So it just felt, it felt so much more cohesive. Whereas this, there's so many comics that are running alongside of this that like, it's just hard to make it really feel the scope and, and point, but sorry, Kaylin, go ahead. No, 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 you're, it's so funny. I think cause like you're, you're reading my head. Uh, what are you, a telepath? Because I remember as a kid, uh, like when I couldn't go to the comic store every week, I would just get comics like at the newsstand or whatever. And I would get stuff like sporadically or out of order. And then I would see house ads for all these Marvel and DC crossovers, like Atlantis Attacks, yeah. Prices on Infinite Earths, Legends. You know, all that stuff. And like all of the promo art was like, this has got to be the best thing ever. And then I finally <laughs> went back and read them. And I was like, oh, I guess that was it. Like this didn't really like change anything, right. you know? So it's always like your anticipation of something is always greater than the actual result. And it's very rare that something can meet or exceed your expectations. That's fair. It, it does feel like this, this series is just a lot of props that are being used in order to make us think that Black Panther and Captain America, et cetera, are great characters. And I'm like, well, I, I want to see the characters that are being used as props instead mm -hmm. of the ones that are supposed to be the masterful, wonderful ones that are going to save every fucking thing. My only hope is that um, Hulkling shows up in X of Swords and just uses his swords and it cancels out everyone else's sword and the event ends 
Immediately. Okay. Twenty-four chapters. No, twenty-four chapters later. That's yeah. all it is. It, he's Why don't you get a magic sword? Out. Yeah. Fuck you guys. That would be a great um, April Fool's prank. <laughs> so let's talk about X Men number ten, which is a tie-in uh, to Empire, and it's focused around Vulcan specifically up on the moon and the Summers household, and then you have. Petra and Sway, and as somebody who's read X-Men for a long time, I don't really remember any of these characters. They don't need like Clark to. Because or... they, they're only in one miniseries. That's it. Pe- Petra, Petra and mini- Sway never had, like, they proper were never story. In anything. They were just Turn- there okay. to die. They were yeah. there to die. It, it turns out, though, they just love to party. They're just that drunks. That was their character development. <laughs> Petra and Sway, those, those alcoholics know what to do. Oh, those bitches are cold. Hey, like, you, might remember them, you might remember them from Big Little Lies. <laughs> <laughs> Big Little Fires. Both also of them, both of them are Laura Dern. Amazing. Uh, I mean, I know they're making margaritas, but they should just be drinking White Claws or truly. I mean, at this <laughs> point, they're getting White Girl wasted. But, um, you know, clearly, like, this is a – I think this was a pretty good issue because I think it gets a little bit more into, like, what happened with Vulcan. Yeah. Post, um, uh, you know, War of Kings up yeah. to like the Krakoa era. Uh, I think it's super interesting and it makes a lot of sense because of the Katadi doing all the stuff in the moon and it being next door to the Summers household. Um, and I think this is probably one of the last issues that Len Francis Yu is going to be drawing. Did he draw this issue? I think he did. Who were those three weird people that? Said, now you've got this in your brain. We don't. I don't think. We know. Oh, okay. We don't know yet. We don't know who that is. No idea. Um, I, I, I will stop zooming in on your face, Ryan. Um, I will say though, um, one of the things that uh, I, it was nice to see a character that is an Omega level character just completely go crazy on his mm-hmm. powers and like show his powers because everyone else gets like downplayed oh no i don't want to use my like he is actually a crazy person Mm -hmm. and he is very powerful so it was nice to see that and it was nice to see how basically he just formed a shell around himself as a nice person but he's still a fucking psychopath i I Mm -hmm. love that's a good that's good character development i think we were all nervous when we first heard that he survived but they did a good job about it brent i will say i now know which Summer's brother has moved to the top of my list on fuck in there. <laughs> oh, yeah. He's going to fuck like crazy. And obviously, in terms of Mary kill, it's uh, Scott than Alex. Yeah. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. Obviously. Obviously. When I was reading all the, you know, like the super secret, sinister secrets or whatever, I took it to be that he never died and they cloned him thinking that he had and so there's gonna be two versions of of him gabriel summers i should say and now that this has happened it kind of not that (laughs) story i thought was gonna happen is much more exciting than the story that they've given me (laughs) i agree like i I really they they have discussed the fact like the question is that what happens if they didn't actually die. And they're going to deal with that next factor as we're going to see most likely, hopefully. But I thought that yeah. was based on the secrets, what they were getting at. And now, I don't know. I'm a little bummed. Well, I think, um, I mean, they kind of hinted at it already in this issue, but like of uh, Vulcan coming back or being there with having kind of uh, mental shit uh, to like protect everybody that Professor X did or, mm. and, or Jean Grey and or Emma Frost or any of the other telepaths. I think um, that is uh, clearly something that Charles has done before. Um, and so I think it sort of fits in with what, uh, what could potentially happen. Yeah. Anything else on X-Men number 10? All right. Uh, moving on to Cable number two. What a delightful series. Um, yes. I think Phil Noto's art is just fantastic. Uh, I, I've, I, I've been a fan of young Cable since he was introduced in Extermination and even in that you know, kind of mediocre X-Force series that uh, we read about a year and a half ago. Uh, mm-hmm. But um, Jerry Dugan, uh, you know, somebody who has never really impressed me before the Dawn of X books is like becoming one of my favorite Marvel writers now for both this and Marauders. Um, I think uh, I, I enjoy the weird quirkiness of like, you know, somebody who is a time displaced, you know, warrior, but he's a teenager and they do it without making him petulant. They just sort of make him as like, he's just yes. kind of, 
he's kind of dumb like Hank Venture, uh, for those who've watched Venture Brothers. Um, I, I like he's smart, but he's also, you know, quite not mature yet. So he makes a lot of dumb stuff. And I like that he's dating all five of the, of the cuckoos. Like it's just, uh, it's just kind of a, a weird thing. And you've got, um, you know, Emma telling Scott, yeah, I don't really approve of this except for Esme. Esme needs to get her heart broken or whatever she said. Which is <laughs> that like, was great. Okay, Fuck Esme. Emma, yeah, Emma, you <laughs> petty ass bitch. Like, I love you for that. So um, it's, I think it's really good. The only thing I don't enjoy, I haven't enjoyed about issue one or two are the codas at the end of each issue where they have like old cable in that apocalyptic wasteland. I'm sure they're going to explain it, but this is just like my personal preference is whatever yeah. comics do, like something that's not related to the main story for like, two pages i'm just like oh, this doesn't give me enough to like to to to, to think about and I, it annoys me more than anything else ryan kaylin do you think that they're maybe commenting on how stupid old kaylin is or i mean sorry Cable <laughs> wow. Is. wow i did that on purpose kaylin's not Everyone stupid i'm just Everyone joking young kaylin <laughs> It's, no, it's, no, 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 wow. no, 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 do you think they did it because it's like this older version of uh, Cable just wasn't a fully fleshed out character and so they're trying to bring it to a smarter future as a younger one because they also need him to be basically a child for Scott so it feels less weird. Maybe, I think like maybe if we all read it like in a big chunk, there's like two to three pages, it'll make more sense, but like in each sort of discrete like not unit enough. of a comic it's not enough to like tell me like so it just, it's just like i'd rather more see more of like young cable with a beautiful phil noto art and his big fucking space sword fighting the space knights like i, I think that's just that should i want to see more that they're doing it on purpose though right now oh, I'm sure they are. I'm, yeah i'm sure they are i'm sure they are you know i'm just not ready for us to get old cable back if I, that don't ending, right. I don't want him i don't i don't want no We've done like like there's been enough like and remember we at the beginning of uh, when we started this podcast with resurrection how like bad to mediocre the like the cable series we read it's just like everything's been said about that character he's not interesting he's better as the straight man to somebody like Deadpool yeah or in a team setting like an X Force um, but like Young Cable is much more interesting because he's like he gets to reconnect with Scott as his dad which I really like that dynamic. And to my earlier point, like he gets to be, you know, kind of a teenager, uh, you know, in this mutant paradise. It's, I think it's great. I'm a little more hopeful. I don't uh, know, I doubt it's gonna go this way, but the way I kind of see that, the way that they're setting it up is that that is uh, young Cable, kind of time and age displaced and that he's got a journey back somehow, but uh, because because it doesn't look like the same older cable we're used to but i doubt it mm. keep an open mind on it yep so let's talk about x-men fantastic four number four an issue that came out last week and we didn't get to review it on podcast um so it ended the miniseries i like this miniseries but i think it could have been done in a regular issue of the x-men rather than like kind of uh spun off into its own miniseries because the timing we were not really sure of when it was supposed to happen uh, I think there was a lot of filler there, but Chip Zdarsky is a good writer, um, as we saw from the Hulk Hulkling uh, one-shot uh, last week or two weeks ago. And Terry Dobson's a fine artist, um, you know, even though some of their work looked a little, like, rushed and sloppy in this issue. Uh, but what did everybody else think? I think, uh, for me, I, I do like this. I kind of wish that it was, like, uh, more... Krakoa minded in the kind of Hickman universe because this feels a little too from both worlds. But one thing that really bothered me was Kitty Pride's inclusion because as a character, she's kind of unnecessary in the story except to disarm Dr. Doom. And I feel like you could have easily substituted in some other character. That I just, I just, role. And maybe they've got a relationship that I, I'm not as fully aware of, but... I don't feel like I got that from this. Kalen, school this man. <laughs> well, I, I, here's where I disagree a little bit. Well, one, it's Kate Pride, not Kitty Pride, you monster. Um, you know what? I'm going to fuck myself. You've been yeah. schooled, Brad. <laughs> <laughs> well, All right, this episode um, is over. This has been homeschooled. <laughs> <laughs> 
but she had a friendship with Franklin and you needed somebody who had that emotional connection uh, versus just some random X character or some random mutant. When you had like, you know, Professor X, Magneto, Wolverine all kind of coming in, you know, like very strongly uh, at the beginning of the miniseries saying Franklin needs to come to Krakoa. Like you need somebody to be like, like, no, he should really come, but like, you know, we're going to be a little bit cool about it. Uh, there's also, there is a connection with, uh, with Kate and with Dr. Doom um, that I'm glad that they, they kind of like played up in this. Um, what I liked about this series, I'll say, is like, I hope there's ramifications of like creating a, a huge rivalry between Latveria and, uh, and Krakoa. It's the geopolitical, real politics stuff that, like I've said before on, on podcasts that I really enjoy. And like setting that up, I think uh, is super smart. I just don't think we needed four issues to do it. God, no. Yeah, I would agree. It didn't need to be four issues. Um, I think you're right. They are setting up something greater with Latveria. But also on that note, I think this series was to a step because K-Pride was such an integral part of it. It's because they're looking at her powers and they're saying, hey, her powers aren't working like normal mutants are. Dr. Doom can somehow control her powers. So I'm, I'm thinking that's alluding to how she is actually dead right now in the current storyline, how that's going to allude to something later on, meaning maybe her powers are magical, maybe she's an eternal, like whatever that's it may be. I, th I think it's alluding to that where it's going to prove why she is not a mutant. And then they can go back to this mini series and be like, Hey bitch, we showed you right here. So I think that's what is going to play in the greater part of it because you know, she's coming back. Okay, fine. <laughs> oh. But you might be right about that whole, that, you know, the increasing discussions about how the thing that gives everyone powers is that their mitochondria have some connection <laughs> energy dimension it's called midichlorians yeah uh, no 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 <laughs> i do like the slow dissolving of mr fantastic's uh, memory of the the oh, pyramid yeah, that, that he did yeah, like the the page by page suddenly all yeah the last scene was, was good the last scene was good that Lucas was really Mr. Good. fantastic creating like a yeah. bomb that'll <laughs> kill all yeah. mutants yeah naive piece of shit yeah, um, the last issue that we came out this week was uh, Deceased, Hope at World's End, number six. It was a follow-up from the fifth issue with a lot of action happening in Jotunheim with the uh, sort of the jihad characters. I know we don't call them that anymore, but that's what the team was called when they were introduced in Suicide Squad. Suicide Squad, Suicide Squad is Adam's team, sorry. Um, <laughs> uh, and uh, like you've got like a, like the turn Black Adam coming in there. You've got a pre-turned Wonder Woman. But, like, the character interactions are fine. I think the art was nice. Uh, it just feels like they're filling in all this cool stuff of the world, like, you know, while it's already happened. Uh, and it made the stakes a little bit less yep. stakey for me. <laughs> for, <Yeah. a> <laughs> right? and for someone and for someone who's a vegetarian, wanting more stakes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'd agree. I wanted it way more stakey. Um, yeah. I agree. I actually read it, and I don't quite know why it was written. Yeah. It, um, nothing uh, happened in it. It is such a good example. So, like, there's definitely similar issues, I think, to this from that are in, like, the Injustice series um, that Tom Taylor's also written. And, like, a perfect moment where, like, if this was actually in sequential order was when Black Adam caves the mountain in. Like, that's a perfect, like, to be continued after, if you didn't know what the fuck was going to happen. But we already know what's going to happen. So this being a prequel series just really lacks a lot of bite. And I'm disappointed because I did like yeah. the issue, but I think it's exactly valid to say there's no real, what are we really building up for so it can all break down? Brett? I'm excited because I think that what's going to happen is the storyline is going to be complete and then assembled as a compendium. And then three decades from now, when Homo Superior is rebooted, <laughs> they'll be able to do a March Madness and they'll be able to discuss uh, DC comics. <laughs> I love that. That yeah, one. No, I, I hope I'm dead for that. I hope I'm dead for that. 
I'm so excited for the person that will be able to read these in chronological order. Cause I think mm -hmm. the series overall is great. It's just, yeah. we're getting them at the wrong times. Also, did did anyone read it in like three point five seconds? I was like, "This is oh yeah, yeah, yeah." I was like, I was like, "What?" So that's a habit, I think. Because is this was this like a full price issue or like a ninety nine cent issue? No, it's ninety nine cent issue. That's the yeah, because that's the reason why. Yeah, exactly. They're they're shorts. Yep, and justice moves very fast too. There's very little dialogue to you speed through stuff, but that's still. I mean, I don't know. I love my Tom Taylor, but I just wish he had a better organization. He's hinting. He's hinting uh, at some new DC work. Like there was some hints about Injustice, hints about Superman. So I'm, my thinking is I, I think he's going to end up becoming the new writer for Justice League when they like after they finish uh, Death Metal. So um, I think they're going to have to like re, they're going to have to reboot that uh, series because right now it's very much like oh who's who's a fill-in writer. It feels very much like um, what Justice League was going through right before Infinite Crisis mm. uh, in the early to mid-2000s where you had a different writer come on every few issues. So next week, uh, we've got um, uh, Empire X-Men number two. Uh, and then the next giant size X-Men, Phantom X, uh, who's one of my favorite characters. So I'm really kind of excited uh, about what that giant size uh, issue will, uh, will have. Uh, we'll have the eighth episode of Doom Patrol and very excitingly, it's our sesquicentennial. It's our 150th episode. So uh, we're going to have some fun, cool shit that we we haven't figured out yet, but we will by the time that we record next week. You don't have to give it away, Kaylin. Hey, transparency is my middle name. Yeah. All right. Well, bye, everyone. Bye. bye.